You're listening to the Saturday Morning D&D Show with Jordan, the PH is silent, and Sir Lucian. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. And uh, Zris, I just, I'm pointing out right now that that's rude for you to be like, what are the local bets that Sir Lucian's mic is <laughs> muted today? Mic check. Mic check testing. One, two, three. <laughs> not muted because nice. I made a yes. very specific macro that keeps, it shows up right here and it's like... <laughs> The, the microphone is on. That's right. Hashtag Jordan. free Lucian. That was the, it was trending this, this it was past trending week. all over. It. Uh, wow. We got, yeah. Good morning from Berlin. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. We got all kinds of people. Hey Berlin. Welcome. Um, yes. Hello Lucian. I'm, uh, my name is Jordan with silent pH in the middle and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host whom you can hear named Sir Lucian. Uh, yes. what, what's the haps yo? What's going on? As the kids say, how are you do, fellow kids? Yeah, I don't think they say any of those things. But <laughs> uh, like I was saying, it feels like we just talked yesterday, and I can't believe that um, another show is here. So I don't know if everybody else's timeline is moving as fast as mine is, but it feels like it's blowing by quick, and <coughs> the holiday is coming. So I don't know about your family. You're going to have the the big Thanksgiving holiday coming up. You got a couple of days off. Um, got- I do have some time off, which I'm excited for. Uh mm-hmm. There are, uh, sorry, most of my family is out of town. Um, So we're going to have a very quiet Thanksgiving, which I was thinking about. I'm like, I'm fine with that. Like, I think I'm okay. Uh, And I I might try to get my Gloomhaven friends to come over on Friday and play Gloomhaven because we haven't played in a while. Gloomhaven? Uh, It's funny. We stopped playing Gloomhaven because we started playing Dungeon Crawl Classics. But I was like... (laughs) I was like looking at my Gloomhaven box the other day, and I'm like, oh, that was that a was a really fun game. Like, I kind of want to keep playing that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, cool. I felt bad. So last week, uh, Steve Zerk, he gave us a uh, super chat in YouTube, and he asked hey, a Steve. question, oh, and I was like, right. I'm gonna we'll answer get to this it. question at the end. But when I, I went did. back to look at it, usually the interface for YouTube Studio will show mm-hmm. you all of the super chats, but Steve's super chat had gone. And I was like, I don't remember the question. So I asked him this morning, what was your question? And I wanted to answer it because I thought, I was like, that's nice. You should give anyway. him two questions, one free one. Okay, we'll give him a free one. But he says, I, uh, he was asking about uh, what we thought about guild stuff in Ravnica as I'm starting to run a campaign similar to what Lucian is running and I want to make an adventurer's guild. Um, as well as the stuff in Waterdeep involving guilds. So are you talking about factions or, yeah, yeah basically yeah. factions to join up? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think factions are very important in any game. Not necessarily for the players to join, but mm-hmm. to have, like, this group has this conflict with this group or this person has this intention which counteracts the intention of another group. So Yeah, I like it. I like it if you dive into it and you make it a real piece of the campaign. And I like the idea that it allows you to introduce info if they ever get stuck. If the group ever gets in this point, they can't do something. They have other groups they can go out to and maybe get something they need. Mm -hmm. Maybe get somebody resurrected if they need it. Maybe find an ingredient they couldn't find the normal way if something gets missed in your normal adventure. But just the intrigue of one guild fighting another guild can drive some really cool side quest stuff too because... You could be like, well, here's the main storyline about what you're doing in a town, but this guild and this guild have this little fight going on over 
this territory that they're trying to control. One group's trying to muscle in and you've been asked to help, you know, push them back out or help negotiate the issue or, you know, whether you want a combat oriented one or you want a, a good negotiation session where you're, you know, you're talking and with the villains and everything, you can do a lot of cool dialogue there. Yeah. Um, and in Ravnica, what I like even better is that they're the color based options, which give you flavor and give you a good way to know how to feel, how to play those guilds, right? Because they've kind of matched it. They've given you the, uh, almost the attitude of them. So you have a, a really something to, to latch onto. Like when you do Forgotten Realms, I mean, you got the Zentarum, you've got the Harpers. Now the Zentarum, you have a pretty good feel for because I think in the, in the lore, you kind of understand they're kind of underhanded. They're kind of yeah, they're, get the job they're the shady, done. Bad people shady. The thing, but. but but the difference between the Harpers and I'm trying to think is it the Silver Hands or the Silver? There's like the the Enclave, the Emerald Enclave, is, Emerald is, Enclave, the, uh, the Emerald, Harpers, the Harpers, the, and there's another one. Uh, it's gaunt, a shield, Gauntlet, or the Gauntlets, uh, something. Yeah, yeah, and the Flaming Fists and a bunch of other stuff. So, like, those three, to me, didn't have a flavor that really differentiated them very well in the lore. So I had to kind of come up with it on my own when I was doing Forgotten Realms one. But with Ravnica, they give you really good, flavorful text to dive into and know that, you know, the Gagari fighting this other group, you you know what you're getting. And I really love that about Ravnica. The artwork is there to help support you. You can go buy some Ravnica card packs to get more artwork just to give you some more inspiration and creatures to throw at them or, or monsters to put into your system. I love that whole idea. So I think that's really cool that you're doing that. And yeah. in my campaign, what I liked about the factions too is it allowed player advancement or player side quest stuff. So if they wanted to build a church for their group even though they come together as adventurers they're still a part of the world in another way right mm -hmm. they're not only they're only linked to the world as this group that's going out and adventuring they're they're also linked by being part of that one of them's a harper or one of them is a you know a, a zentarum or one of them is this the baker's faction or one of them is a gagari or whatever you know you whatever factions you want to do so i like a faction game a lot and Matt Colville runs the hell out of faction games. So if you like a Matt Colville style game, to me, factions are big. What about, yeah. what about, I would think your Hot, uh, Hot Springs Island game would be a big faction game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, factions in the sense that there are, there are natives to the island that mm -hmm. want it back the way it was. There's the historical elves that are no longer on the island, but they still have a looming presence in their artifacts and technology that are there. Mm -hmm. And then you have uh, the ogres that are kind of trying to understand their place on the island because they were brought here forcefully. So you have a lot of people that are like, you know, and, and that's what I love. When we played it, uh, I mean, the game has bad people. But the players, there's no incentive for me, the DM, or the players to be like, this person, uh, they're doing what's best for them. Even yeah. though it's hurting other people in a way, they're not like they're not like the evil guy that wants to conquer the world kind of a thing. And so yeah. that's one thing I really liked it is because 
your players really latch on to like, well, I don't like that guy. Okay, well, he's the villain then. Let's go, you know? And that's good for me because replaying it, it I'm not, they're not expected to go in the same direction. And so I mm. like that a lot. But that's a sandboxy game in general kind of a thing. Yeah. Know? And doing an Adventures Guild is a good way to tie in why your players have come together and met each other and you're establishing in your world that there are adventurers right and the that guild it's a noble itself, profession <laughs> yeah yeah and the guild itself can give out jobs for them to do if they ever feel like they don't have something to do which i think is what the perfect thing for an adventurer's guild is for um when we used it in the game we played the other thing that i used an adventurer's guild for which was really cool is they would train up young people who wanted to go out and adventure but the town had said you need skills before you go do that because if they didn't the kids would just go out on their own and that they would get in all kinds of trouble because that's what kids do so the town came together and said we should make an adventures guild the kids can sign up for it and they can learn enough skills that hopefully it helps them survive better than if we just ignore them and don't we tell them no don't go because anytime you tell a teenager no don't do that they're going to do it a hundred times in, in that day. you know. So, and I like that idea of the town came together, outfitted the kids, gave them training. That's how they get their classes. They learn to fight. They learn to spelunk. They learn to survive. They learn to set up their camp. And you have this whole thing that you can then set up. And these are the new adventures going out into the jungles of whatever, you know, exploring Indiana style, you know, Indiana Jones style. So I like the idea. I think it's fun. I think you'll have fun doing it. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, WebDM, uh, Sans Pruitt, he just put out a Factions video, too. So I would encourage oh, you yeah, to watch their latest that. video, because uh, he also talks about the importance of, of Factions and had some really good ideas on, mm-hmm. as from a DM perspective, keeping all of the Factions going. So mm-hmm. you're like, okay, I'm going to roll... Uh, and he has a die associated with every faction and the size mm-hmm. of the die is based on their influence. And so oh, when you roll smart. all like seven of these, you can look down and then you know that like, oh, this one's up to something sneaky because I rolled like the highest or the lowest on that particular die. And mm-hmm. and so in your head, you can kind of create a narrative and then continue the game really quickly. And I was like, man, that is smart. So, yeah. I like that. <laughs> That's very good. Um, the... The world building videos that uh, Matt Coville did, he talks a lot about factions and how they intertwine and how they make the city run and why they make the city run the way they do. And it's grounded in real political kind of intrigue, even from our own world. So if you're looking for some other good stuff there, watch those videos too, because he talks about why he does the things he does and why the factions are the way they are. I was listening to The Manifest Zone, which is probably my new favorite podcast that was recommended Uh to us by uh, the the guest for uh, Plangia, which just finished, by the way, which is really good. Um, And uh, Keith Baker was saying that all of the different uh, kingdoms that are vying for power in Corvair in Eberron. Um, he was like straight up. He's like, it's world war one where like everybody had these little uh, treaties and stuff like that. But like when one piece fell, all of a sudden, all all of these people got (laughs) pulled into a fight that nobody was expecting to have. Uh, And it was really interesting. 
the and treaties like, were there right. to avoid all of it. And well, the treaty was there to drug like, them in. Yes, exactly. And yeah, so because once you sign that, now you have to go. Yeah. yeah, or you break your treaty, and you're like, oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Steve, we get we're giving him sec two questions, so we'll do that. He just donated another bunch of money, so thank you, Steve. Yay, and became Steve. a member. Um, Steve Zerk. Uh, uh, do you use weather in your campaigns? Do you bring Absolutely. it up session by session? Yep. Now, sometimes what I'll do is I'll have the players roll when it's when I don't. It's not a part of a plot thing that I'm doing. Like I don't have a certain thing that I want to happen, but I'll I want them to feel grounded in the world, and I want them to know: is it storming? Is it raining? Is it super hot? Is it super cold? Is it wet and and muddy? You know, is it tougher to move around and that kind of thing? And um, I think it feels like, I just feel like it ties them to my world more and it gives me a chance to open the scene with what they see, but what they're feeling and, and, and let it build some of the mood. Like when they first found the Black Pyramid in Revenar, I mean, I had to have a cool storm happening then. So that was like a, a story-based weather piece that I needed because it just felt right. But other times, like, I had nothing planned and they were just going to go and they'd found these uh, ruins and they were going to go to them and they happened to roll a huge storm had come through. So it made the the whole thing even fun, more fun and crazy that on the outside of the ruins, it's a mess of a storm. It's like a hurricane coming through. But once they get inside, it's all quiet and eerie and then they get attacked, but then they don't want to go back out because it's like hurricanes and trees are falling and everything's going crazy. Yeah. So I think it's a really great... Um, tool that I use in mine. I wouldn't say I use it in every campaign that I do that I make it a big deal, but if it's a hex crawl, I definitely do it. If it's outdoors. If it's an open world. And you're traveling. It, it is any a, type of I think it's really important to do. Yeah. Uh, I have uh, weather dice that are really good. And you just roll yeah. and you're like, oh, it's cloudy or oh, it's this. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are also good for if your players have... Uh, magic that controls the weather like certain druids and stuff in 5e and there are some spells i think where you can predict the weather and i really like that because they're like what's the weather going to be like tomorrow and then i could roll and it's still random but then Mm -hmm. they can prepare for it and then the player also is like oh wow i contributed something this this new Mm -hmm. ability i have contributed to the the overall gaming experience and you were talking about if there's a you know torrential downpour or something that changes the terrain, and you vision know, and vision. We have yeah. all of these rangers that have like, I can move really fast in this terrain, or I can move this my normal speed. But you're never slowing down the rest of the players. Uh, yeah. Weather is a perfect time to do that, where you're just like mm-hmm. it's really muddy. All of you lose like ten feet of movement. Oh, except you, Ranger, because you know this terrain and you're really good. You know, and yeah, so you're a badass. That then also <laughs> rewards the Ranger for just playing a Ranger, and then he's good at certain things that are uh, mm-hmm. essentially like. And that's yeah. a a good point. If you have a Ranger, it makes sense. We had a Drow, and so our Drow player always wanted to know when it was sunny. Or when it was cloudy enough that he didn't get his disadvantage yeah. from being in sunlight. Yeah. So it became a big um, point to understand what the weather was like in the Forgotten Realms when we were playing Storm King's Thunder too, because we, because we had a drow player. So mm-hmm. at other times there could be reasons, other reasons why you want to have it as a big part of your um, your session. So I like having it in. I think it adds mood. I think it adds the idea that the world is harsh and it's tough. 
And yes, heroes have to slog through stuff to get to where they're going. They have to get through the swamp to get to the dragon layer. They have to climb the mountain with the, the torrential rain hitting them on the side, and it makes it more dangerous than a normal walk up the mountain. So I like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Super fun. Um, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> How about Dungeons & Dragons stuff? Like, okay. I hear it's uh, popular right now. I hear all yeah. the kids love it. All the kids. It's very popular. Uh, Strixhaven Hype is coming out yes. December 7th. Uh, I'm picking up the book. I'm actually getting really excited for this. Uh, I don't know much about it uh, other than what has been released. Uh, not that I have inside knowledge. That makes it sound like I have inside knowledge. I don't. But what I'm saying is I'm not like rereading articles, becoming obsessed yeah. with it. But when it comes out, I think it's going to be that cover-to-cover read. And, uh, gosh, I just – every time I'm running a game, I start reading about other games. And I'm like, oh, I want to run this. And so now I really want to run 5e Mm-hmm. when I've been wanting to run Dungeon Crawl Classics for so long <laughs> and I'm actually no, running no. it and I'm having so much fun but at the same time I'm just like oh man but 5e and so yeah yep. it's fun times I'm excited I'm definitely going to get it um, I'm looking forward to the alternate cover sitting up on my um, shelf shelf is usually here. what yeah. you put I haven't on. bought the last <laughs> couple just because yeah I was trying to think my desk I was like no that's not right um, I haven't bought the last couple interestingly enough I'll probably wait and get them on sale at some point and get them all but for collecting but I didn't yeah. get them because I wasn't interested in running adventures there I mean I I thought I wanted to run Feywild adventures and I still do I don't think I want to run their Feywild adventures I'm mm-hmm. I have a very different idea of Feywild at this point so for me I think I would just go the homebrew Feywild, or I would yeah. find another group that did a really cool. Yeah, I think it's called supplement book, Court of Shadows, or something. Yeah. by Kobold Press. Was That's really, probably what really I good in, in stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I, but I would also encourage one. you to read it. Like yeah, I, it well, might yeah. be the less fanciful than you think. So That's I think true. there's there's good like Chris Perkins jokes in there, but it also I mean the whole villain, which I can't say because it spoils it, is is really <laughs> good. So okay. <laughs> So I'm so the last couple I've kind of missed out on um, weren't ones that I would thought I would run something in. Just like I never really I, I didn't think I was going to run anything in Avernus, so I didn't pick that one up back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was super, you know. Some of these other ones have been really good, and I just keep buying third party campaign settings. Yeah. That you know when I need to run a five e campaign setting of some sort, I've got a million to pick from. Yeah. I'm still reading through Tolus at this point, the giant mega book. And there's so much good stuff in Ugh. that. Um, I didn't buy Tolis for my birthday like I thought I was going to, but that's okay. So <laughs> that's okay because <laughs> it's very expensive. But uh, and I and I think it would also be one of those books that I enjoy reading, but I don't mm-hmm. actually. Uh, and I may never yeah. play it. I I want to. I really yeah. do. I and, I mean I've got a double set of Temple of Elemental Evil from Good yeah. Games. I've got. I've just kickstarted three this month. Usually I try to only do one Kickstarter a month, but I did, you know, we'll talk about coming up. And it's just like, there's so much out there. But bringing it back around, I do want the Strixhaven book. I'm excited for the Strixhaven book. I'm excited for a a Harry Potter style game, but I'm also excited that you could take it in a little bit less kids and a little bit more darker and a little bit more adult way too. Because there's been some other shows out there about magical colleges that are a little bit more for adults than they were for the Harry Potter crowd, yeah. right? So I think there's a lot of potential there to play some cool 
college shenanigans and that doesn't have to just be fun and, and humorous you know it doesn't have to be van wilder it can be if you want it to be and that's what you want to do but it also could be some other cool stuff going on there too so um, i'm interested in it i really like it i like the concept of it but i'm a magic the gathering person too so it's another yeah. magic the gathering book well right? it, it goes back to um theros i think too we were talking about this where like certain people just don't want magic in their D D. Uh, and by that, I mean Magic the Gathering. They want they magic want peanut D&D, butter but... in their chocolate. Exactly. I don't get it. Uh, but <laughs> uh, if you, so uh, I like that comparison. If you went to someone, you're like, hey, I want to run like a, a, a ancient Greek myth- mythological campaign. You know, Jason and the Argonauts, da, da, da. You guys are like superhuman, whatever. It's going to be so much fun. And they're like, yeah. And Classical it's like, heroes. it's Theros. And they're just like, oh, Magic yeah. the Gathering. But, like, you were literally just excited about what I prompted you. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like this is the same thing. Like, hey, do you want to play, like, a magical school? And da-da-da. Mm. It's, it's Magic the Gathering. Ugh. <laughs> I'm like, mm, could be really good. I'm giving it more thought. Um, and I like that Wizards has said, because uh, a lot of times people come out and they say, I'm upset that Strixhaven is coming out because it means that they're not making Dark Sun or they're not making this classic setting that I like. But which I, you know, you could say that and that is fair. Sure, you have. But you a need to understand like. that, like wizards at the very beginning said, if we mm-hmm. can't bring something new to what we're gonna do, we don't want to do it because you could literally pick up this old stuff and play it. Like we can update yeah. it, but that is a quick, fast, easy, cheap kind of thing of doing it. And there's, there's really and no. And they way are doing that in but a way. Just, yeah. But with Ravenloft they brought something new. You know, it wasn't right. just like, let's take the domains of dread and go blah. Hey, like let's, let's expand them. Let's do this jam. and this. And so I, I liked it. And so coming from that perspective, you're not losing out on dark sun because they're working on Strixhaven. They're working on Strixhaven because they want to, it's not like they're just like, well, we can't do Strixhaven again, or we can't do a mm. uh, planescape again because of this. So, which I'm now curious because we had those Spelljammer races that if they are going to create a Spelljammer-esque setting, yes. what are Confirm. what are they going to do that's new? And that's what I'm excited for because I've oh, read yeah. all the old stuff and I love it, but for them to just re-release that is like, eh, but like what what what's new about the Christmas I hope they beast? do like 300 so. pages of ships, different <laughs> that ships, would be different sizes, different <laughs> types, different, because that's what I want. <laughs> That's make it like a ship manual, like the monster manual. But this is the ship manual. This is all of the possible types of magical ships you could ever want, and I'm, I would buy it a hundred times over because I think that'd be a cool addition to have for a dungeon master to add into any of their games. You know, carriages and ships and boats and just put it all in there. Trains put the whole nine yards in there anything that's locomotive or moves people put it in there i think it'd be good so i'm excited for it and this is the now strict saving will be the last for this year right we don't have any other this yeah is the, the next one, one is march and that's the critical 2022 yeah which we'll came out of nowhere one. i was like what like yeah. when that was announced i but it makes total sense but it's one of those things i just was not expecting yeah that that's the one that's gonna to explain going to explain their but... underdark one right they have some name for their underground yeah they can't call it the underdark because that is like they call a proprietary it something else, name, but uh yeah. it was in one of our news articles and it's, I'm sure it'll come it's back up. uh an adventure that takes place in the 
uh, like the deserty jungle area, which that's where um, they're at. The art has been really cool from what I've seen. Marquette, so Marquette, yeah, Marquette, yeah, very good. Um, I did miss the latest Critical Role. Um, I did a good job of watching the first three or being there when they started and being like, but you know, so I, I think we're out of this time zone or timeline of you make sure you're there when the TV show starts. Like, you remember that? Oh, you, that's just used to be anymore, nine yeah. o'clock. You'd make sure you were at home sitting because that's when that show was going to run. Well, I would run any other time to <laughs> yeah. like race home from school <laughs> yeah. to watch a show that started uh, yeah. you know exactly yeah, at this we time. don't do any of that no more <laughs> no. so falling out of that but i am interested no spoilers there for this week but i mean i am interested in seeing where it goes i'm interested in seeing how um the travis story arc continues i don't know if i'll be interested four five six seven episodes down the line but i'm definitely interested for the first couple because i in it for the short characters. term ladies and gentlemen i love it for the new characters really is the <laughs> i did have some pathfinder news for you i went and dug up um if you missed the free rpg day you still can get the adventures that they offered uh for free in oh, okay. pdf form the at their adventures. website yep so one was called uh, they had one for Starfinder and they had one for Pathfinder. The Pathfinder one was called The Threshold of Knowledge. And it comes with pre-generated characters and it's an adventure you can play. And then Starfinder, which might be the best way to learn how to play yeah. Starfinder or Pathfinder because they have a little bit more complicated rule set at first. So if you're moving over to it, that might be the way to play those games first is with pre-gens. Although if you've played 5e... I think I know if, if you've that, ran it, I think you're well. I read Pathfinder I tried too. To run Starfinder. Well, don't look at all of the options. Just look at the one book. Can't. Yes, you can. <laughs> I believe in you. Make you good life choices. Do. You can't do it. You can't do it. Starfinder one is called the Starfinder Four versus Hardlight Harlequin. That sounds kind of fun. So, and those might be a fun thing to do as a one shot on a channel at some point, like a holiday. Yeah. The characters are already made. The adventures are already made. That could just be a I fun mean, I'll play holiday it. show. Yeah, there you go. Run it. It'd be interesting. This uh, this uh, oh, Thanksgiving. Well, if you played three five, you must know these rules, right? So it should be easy. <laughs> I, I've never played three uh, five, so I, I put the link they... in our notes so that Jordan can eventually put them in the show notes, or you could just go to the Paisa website. It's right on the front. You can yeah. find a button to click, and it'll take you over to the PDFs. Uh, Zris loves your Paizo news, by the way. Thank you. They bring it up all the time. Just, thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, that's what's cool right now. They have And they have a big amount, I want to say big announcements, and they have a wide range of products that are coming for 2022, just like Dungeons & Dragons does. So they are on par with Wizards of the Coast as far as how many books they're putting out per year, how much stuff. So if you're into Pathfinder, don't feel like you're being left out. Paizo's really taking care of you guys with the amount of content you get. And some of it looks really really good i mean the lost city of omens book the one that's i think it's just out or about to come out looks really really good the artwork in it's fantastic it has me super intrigued so i don't know i might be my dcc like everybody in the in our audience keeps telling us is that you know uh jordan's second love is you know um kind of the old school renaissance type style games and mine might be maybe it is pathfinder starfinder hey i don't know i'm really liking it as the more you, I read. you love combat like we've talked about this before like yes you, you love combat. the tacticalness of it and yeah. D is 
balanced so that you could do kind of a theater of the yeah. mind. Let's just kind of describe it, which is what I like in OSR, even though I, I really enjoy minis and stuff. Don't get me wrong. But the old school mm -hmm. Renaissance is the idea of just kind of like, yeah, we'll just that ha that happens. That's kind of cool. Um, but we were just talking about Magic the Gathering before we started the thing. And, and the, mm -hmm. the crunchiness of it is really interesting to you. So yes. sitting down and being like, if I move two squares to the left, I get a plus one at that angle, which then compounds on X, Y, and Z, and then I can push them over the cliff and set up, and you like that, yeah. so. Yeah, well, or the idea that I have a lightning bolt, and if you're doing theater of the mind, you always have to ask that question, which I hate, is like, okay, DM, how many of them can I get lined up to get my fire, my, my uh, lightning bolt to hit and they always come up with a random number in their head and it's never all of them right but every now and then in a real tactical game even in you know you as the dungeon master is moving the minis around you see the pattern line up and you go oh here it is boom move my guy here lightning bolt across all six guys yeah you know you're looking for that and you see that tactical thing but you don't get that as much i think in the theater of the mind because you have to ask the dm tell me what's going on and is there a way for me to get seven guys in, in one spell well and, and also they don't always let you do that yeah and also even uh dungeon crawl classics uh but the osr in general it it isn't so much like you hit in a 30 foot cone of this and things like that like it i don't know we we've established that a square is five feet and so there are rules to say if you're firing in a line you can hit these things uh, yeah, five but, foot wide beam. Yeah. But the old school Renaissance is like, well, we don't, we don't have that specific rules, yeah. and the abstractness, abstracts, abstractness of it is something that I enjoy, uh, mm -hmm. because a lot of times they'll say, hey, or it's a conversation with your players, and they'll say, I'm going to use lightning bolt, and I'm like, great, and they'll say, how many can I hit, and I'm like, where are you kind of positioned? Well, I, I thought I was like closer to the back of the door <laughs> because earlier you said that we could all back up. And so I did. And I'm like, you're right. I think you can hit all of them. Roll, you know, <laughs> as opposed to, uh, but it is nice to see a grid and your minis. Like, I really like knowing where you are. Yeah. Uh, I like no, I like seeing terrain. I just like the props of it. Like I like mm -hmm. props of D&D &D walls. Uh, like DM Nathan's investing heavily into uh, the Dwarven Forge. Dwarven and Forge, we've had yeah. just amazing like places to have really cool combats and like little yeah. cups on tables and things falling over. It's really <laughs> cool. Yeah, uh, I like that. Too. And I do like that tacticalness. So, I mean, if you're going to give your ranger a bow that can hit at 600 yards, when do we get that, you know, in our... Yeah, in our theater of the mind, you know, we, we never know quite where we're at. We're right. always kind of close. But in that, I can do a lot of cool things. They're moving just out of range of things when you know their their breath weapon is 30 feet. So, you know, to move back five feet after you do something so that the breath weapon yeah. doesn't hit you or you hide behind something. I just I like the tacticalness of it. A good DM who can describe the landscape and everything that's going on is awesome, though. Mm -hmm. um, I try to do that well when I'm doing theater of the mind. Because in my head, I visually see the battlefield like it's a real-time strategy game. I just don't know. I just like so I tried to describe that to the players, and most players have had fun doing that. Um, if we didn't have a board to play on, or we didn't didn't have minis, but um, I do love a tactical game. 
for well, sure. WWE is not punk rock says, uh, how long until you run a Pathfinder Starfinder game? He really wants you to do that. So. I know. Well, we've talked a little bit about running well, let, some Let's stuff talk here more action. There, Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Jordan's just too busy. No, I will make time. I will <laughs> make time. <laughs> uh, I can always make time for one shots. We'll see. But I was thinking about doing, we, we could also do a, like a one-on-one. Like um, I know Ted was doing some like small group content on his channel too, which I thought was really cool because we've talked about, can you run D and D with just two people? You know, and how uh, fun could that be? Kugo know? from Kugo the mighty on YouTube. Yeah. He ran me through a one-on-one uh, of our Eberron game. Mm-hmm. And I will be honest. I was skeptical, mm-hmm. um, but had lots of fun. And uh, unfortunately, well, well, not unfortunately, but he recorded that. And I think it's just up on his Patreon. So it's not like everybody can go listen to it, but it was so fun. And like, I don't know, you're the the problem I have as being a player a lot of times is that when it's not my turn, I get distracted. And I think that's why I like being a dungeon master, because it's always my turn. I'm listening. I'm watching. I'm trying to read the room or I'm interacting with people. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so especially when combat hits it's like i do this okay now i gotta wait yeah i'm and impatient I, i'm just impatient so i really yeah, yeah. like uh i like the the one-on-one was more fun as a player than i thought it would be because of i was I, always engaged so. i tell my players at the table too think about what you're doing when your turn comes up don't be don't get to your turn and <laughs> then no start thinking <laughs> i'm that player like come on let's go <laughs> too funny um fantastic so so you uh, can get that from pathfinder um kickstarter news yeah we've done a lot of kickstarter news stuff um i went back and i looked because both of us i believe we both did plane gia and did you do plane breaker did you pass that one by no i did plane breaker yeah the Monty Cook one. Yep. So you did both of those, yep. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I went Pretty back much and they Monty both Cook completed. Makes it, I, I'm, yeah. I like. I'm, I'm just in. really love his game design <laughs> at this point. Yeah. So. Um, Plangia made two hundred seventy-five thousand one hundred eighty-seven dollars for their kickstarting, so they were very successful. We're going to get a really good book out of that, I think, and it was fun, you know, talking to the creator and a little bit about how he brought it to the Atlas Games and. I'm sure we might even be able to get him on a little bit later on. He said he'd come back. So I think that's super cool. I'm very interested in getting my hands on that because I love a dinosaur-type game. Um, in, I'm, in my head, it's always going to be Flangia, though, from now on, even though that's not... <laughs> That'll be my homebrew version. So. Yeah, and then Plane Breaker. It's funny when I wrote them up because they both have the P-L-A yeah. and E in it. But like they're two of them. pronounced very different. <laughs> yeah. Well, plan, plane, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Plane Breaker, the Monty Cook one, 504,000. Hit it through the roof. I don't even think Invisible Sun got that much. Um, this one's a cool idea with the the moon. The Plane Breaker itself is a celestial body breaking through the planes yeah, and showing up in different It's a planet places. that travels... Uh, that's just a cool idea which yeah i like that a lot too so Uh, artwork look really good they always put out a quality product we're at the beginning though so that means you know you probably don't get these books for three months four months six months a year sometimes on some of these projects i'm still waiting for yeah no it looks a year ago plain gia is june of 2022 and plane breaker is august yeah if there's no 
you know interruptions shipping or if problems there is no. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I did throw one out. One it's other gonna be one a good summer because... though. Looking at all this, I've got a lot of Kickstarters yeah. coming in in the summer. Gonna... I looked at my list, and there's a whole bunch of them that I still have haven't shown up yet. I'm like, oh, look at this list of stuff coming. Um, I did one other one. I did this month was Robotech Homefront. Somebody yeah. was doing a remake of a, a Robotech game, and I'm a Robotech fanatic, so yeah. they only made about seventy thousand on theirs. But remember back to that. The reason I put the numbers in, not to brag or say that these guys, everybody did well. But we had this discussion about how 5e was doing really good and it just shows that these couple of campaigns 275,000 500,000 but then you have robotech that had nothing to do with 5e it doesn't have anything to do with their system much lower in in that ranking so you know 70 grand but that's still good to put out a book yeah. and get your name out there and build a game and um so i'm, I'm glad they were successful in their kickstarter what about you for this last month or so? Was there any that you did that's not on that list? Uh, What'd you do? Those just those two? I backed Mothership. Oh, uh, Mothership. Yeah. So Mothership, uh, they've made the rules available for probably two years now, um, but they came out and said like that really is version zero. Like we wanted to get oh. hype for the game and we wanted people to play it and kind of like it, so that you're not just like stumbling into Kickstarter, trying to get people to understand what they're backing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's, I think that's a really good idea. So this is the first edition of Mothership. And uh, I just bought the core set that came with like, it's it's a box set. So yeah. But. You know who said would run it for us? Who? James. James Oh, Wall he did. Yeah. Said he would run right. a Mothership game for us. Yeah, he's so playing a lot of Mothership now. Out, so that would be a lot of fun, yeah. We should get him to run oh, a game for us. Oh, that would be really good. <laughs> I would, yes, I would pay money. Because Mothership, I mean, the premise of it, obviously sci-fi game, but there's a lot of mechanics in there about world building and universe building yep. and doing cool stuff that you don't get in a lot of other games, or at least I haven't heard as many people talk about those tools as I heard of Mothership. When you talk about building a world from scratch everybody brings up oh have you tried mothership you know have you did this um so that's a big one out there so i am i dying to play it like i'm dying to see it ran by somebody who understands it mm -hmm. um mothership's probably the big one that i did plane gia mm -hmm. plane breaker uh i did a rpg called Questlandia. um that sounds familiar which is it was pretty cheap it was like 30 dollars for the book uh, and apparently this is an older one that this is the updated and expanded, but I was curious and it, it's, uh, marketed kind of as like a solo RPG mm -hmm. and really it looked like it was a bunch of tables and tools to build worlds. And so I thought that was really cool. Um, but yeah, Questlandia, uh, and that's again next summer. Um, Herbalist Primer, which we've talked about, that was the unexpected That's, big one that like yeah, everyone wanted, <laughs> but did really well. So that that'll be fun. Um, I backed Tome of Heroes, which is like the big fifth edition. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's Cobalt Press, yeah, because it's like Tome, all of their other ones, yeah. So Tome of Heroes was just I don't know, it's just lots of lots of stuff for yeah. character creation, and the more I think about it, the more I'm I really am enjoying. Uh, all of the third-party content. People are making really incredible stuff for 5e at this point. Uh, so, Definitely. Yeah. Um, 
I did. I'm gonna have so many of them at that point because it's like we because we did Web DM's book, their five E. Yeah. We did Venture Maiden's book, yep. their five E. I did the anime five E book. Yep. Um, Black Storm Realms was a fifth edition one from a long time ago, and Wild Sea was a fifth edition. So there's just like so many of these five E yeah. campaigns I've got coming in at some point. It's um, funny. I wonder what. I don't think this is gonna happen yet, <laughs> but it's that idea that we're all gonna kickstart a bunch of five E stuff. <laughs> yes. And then the next month, Wizard's going to announce 6th edition. Yeah. And then yeah. and then in a year, all of our 5e stuff will show up and we'll be like, well, I don't don't really need this, I guess. I'm playing 6th yeah. edition now, you know, kind of a thing. That would That's my fear, but I was thinking about that the other day. But it's a good thing uh, they said their 6th edition was compatible with 5th yeah. edition, so I think we're okay. No, but yeah, and then <laughs> the other one, I'm, I've got the PDFs for it, but they're still, they have printing problems, is I bought Call of Cthulhu Classic. Um, which is a reprint game. of the 80s game. Yeah. And they're reprinting it with like the original art and making it look real nice. And it is, it's the, the box set of all of yeah. it. Yeah, that's uh, what the Twilight 2000 was. was yeah. The, the so, remake of the original. I, I've been, yeah, exactly. So I've been, uh, that's oh, so blurry. <laughs> stupid camera. So I've been reading um, some of those PDFs and I've actually been reading some of the original HP Lovecraft stories. Um mm-hmm. Because I think this is a game that I'm just, like... Missing out. Well, yeah, that's actually a great thing. I wasn't going to say missing out, but, like, there's a whole culture of people that really enjoy this RPG, really enjoy... There's a country. Japan loves it. (laughs) ...mythos and stuff that I really wanted to try and do... uh, I wanted to try and invest in it. And so that Kickstarter came along, and I'm like, yeah. Um, And it's a cool thing on your shelf, and I'm kind of collecting RPGs at this point, but... So, yeah. 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 I am an RPG collector at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's crazy. Yeah. Weird Frontiers is a Wild West Cthulhu version of Dungeon Crawl Classics uh, that the mm-hmm. uh, the people who wrote it actually reached out to me and they gave me a PDF of it. Um, but I would love to have a physical copy, but it's like, it's really cool. Uh, they were talking about that in chat and I really would like uh, to run that at some point too. I think that'd be fun. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Lots of Kickstarters, lots of fun stuff. Uh, so, you know, back what you want, obviously. But uh, yeah. I think it's important that we do back the things that we want. So, uh, yeah. that's one of the reasons is I'm like, I'm going to go out on a limb. And I'm financially able to support a lot of these Kickstarters. So, that's another thing. But I really like the idea that, you know, that it's their business model now for, like, Monty Cook and Kobold Press and stuff to yeah. do a Kickstarter. And they are really, they're making really cool stuff. So Yeah, yeah. They can almost sometimes, some of these can cut out a middleman or a, a publisher that they have to impress or they have to go in front of them and say, here's my idea. And somebody has to tell them whether they're willing to help back their idea yeah. or not. Whereas Kickstarter says, I don't need you to tell me if my idea is good or not. Either people like it or they don't. And if they do, I'm going to be able to do this thing. So if I if it's a good idea, it's going to play out on its own. And there's not some other arbitrary person with their own tastes making a decision on, yeah, we should do this project or no, we shouldn't do this project, you know, based on whatever they're, whatever they like. So uh, I'm I, glad we get a lot more stuff than I think we would any other way. Oh, yeah. And I think I told you I bought that Vault of Magic by from mm-hmm. Cobalt Press. And that was a Kickstarter that I was like, ah, I should have Kickstarted this. But I bought it after it came out. Um, and you if should you just follow put me. Cobalt Press on 
notifications. Like so anytime they put something out, that's it's like first first button push. Uh, no, we were talking. <laughs> I think I was talking about this with either Ted or you that if if Wizards bombs D and D, just yeah. like how Paizo yeah. took up the reins and made pathfinder i think kobold mm -hmm. press is in the position could to, be the to build their own version of dungeons and dragons we should get somebody so. from over there to come on the show i wonder if i could find somebody to come over and, and do an interview with us probably I'll, I'll do a search on that see if i can find somebody and then i've got dcc dying earth and man so many good stuff take a drink dcc so dying earth um so this is random and I, we don't need to spend a lot of time on it but i i watched a video will. there's a it's not a conspiracy theory. What would you? Oh, uh, an urban myth that I found on the mm -hmm. internet about in the 1980s, mm -hmm. the uh, British broadcasting company, the BBC, wanted to invest in British computing, and so they made this uh, basic, uh, and I say basic as in the programming language. Uh, it was a BBC computer, and it was uh, you programmed in basic. And the urban myth is that this gentleman had this computer plugged into his house and he would come home and he would find these letters written on it, written in like old English from like the 16th uh, century. And he's like, well, that's kind of funny. And so he started writing letters on the computer and then he would come back and he would get replies. And he's talking back and forth with this person who apparently is somebody from the 16th century that lived in the house he's living in now. And so he's like, is this a ghost? But then that guy referenced another person that he's like, well, I got this box from so-and-so. Did you get your box from so-and-so? And so then they start writing letters to so-and-so. And so-and-so -and -so is some kind of alien consciousness from the year 2190 who has given them these boxes because it's important that they communicate now for the future. And wow. uh, I love time travel a lot, and I had never heard of this. Uh, and I'll bring up the, um, there's a really good video called The Mysterious Computer That Could Prove That Time Travel Exists. And I'll put a link in our show notes and stuff, but I don't want to do it now because everybody will run out and watch it. You should watch <laughs> our show. Um, but uh, yeah, it's really interesting. It's called the BBC Micro was the name of the computer. So I thought this was interesting and I wanted to think like, I had all these ideas of trying to incorporate something like this. Oh, I'm losing so many frames. I'm sorry. You are. <laughs> I was just going to say. So many frames Not buffering. Frames. Oh, no. Interesting. And back. I want to... Arrow back. Okay. So, uh, I know. I'm so sorry, guys. I don't know what's going on. Well, here's uh, what's crazy. I bet they're Let me watching... tell you what's crazy about this. I bet they're watching. This is written in our notes. Go ahead. And... Um... Well, it's, it's good over on Twitch, guys, so you can, you can see it on Twitch if you need to. Um, so I saw this in our notes, and I went and I typed into YouTube the title of what you just said there, the, um, the computer, the time-traveling computer, and I got a totally different urban myth. Like, absolutely different, but kind of sames in some ways. And it's called the John Teeter story about a time traveler who says they're going to come back in 2036 um, and find this IBM that they need to bring back to the future. He needs it in the future. So it was like this really strange um, 
they were talking through BBS boards and he was, you know, claiming he was a time traveler. And so if you look that up in YouTube, you might find one or the other story that Jordan's talking about. I was totally looked at a different story for this. And it's pretty crazy. So um, I think it's funny that there's a couple of urban myths out there about computers that have some type of time travel aspect to them. So um, we'll let Jordan keep working. Yeah, here. I'm here. No, I, I, I turned off the uh, the Disney Plus streaming upstairs, which I think is what was causing the buffering. Oh. <laughs> so I apologize. Thank you, guys. Uh, sorry. She's going to watch Shang-Chi up there while you were down here. Uh, I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> but yeah, uh, sorry. What did you say? Briefly, you can give me a little summary. So <laughs> the story I looked up was the John Teeter story. And he's a person that claims on a BBS board in like 2000 something that he's here to pick up uh, an IBM computer. <gasps> That's another specific cool type of yeah. IBM computer. Yeah. And he's like, I need it because we're going to take it back to the future where we can use it to debug some yeah. of this old equipment we have and we no longer have yeah. access to it. That's the one I thought you were yeah. talking about. No. I have no idea about the British ghost story. That's though. also a really cool one, though. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, no, here. Um, <laughs> uh, this but, now has turned into Saturday morning uh, mystery show. And yeah, we're going to talk we're, about we're, all uh, the we're an urban myth show. It's really exciting. <laughs> um, but yeah, they are. Uh, so it got me thinking uh, how do we apply this to a game? So I'm going to try and apply it to a game. Is mm -hmm. uh, the idea of what if your players discover a computer? You don't call it a computer, but they discover something. And then you, you, you say to them, hey, I want you to leave a note on there. Mm -hmm. And then I call my good friend Lucian and I say, here's what my players wrote on this thing. And you're like, okay, I'm going to put that in a computer on, in my Starfinder game. <laughs> nice. And then let, have the two different, completely different people of players in different games communicate with each other but they don't understand how or why and then this person might reference something that this one's like what like i don't like or maybe the guy at the table does understand pathfinder or starfinder and he's just like are you playing us but i loved that idea of like connecting games through just dms that are friends but mm -hmm. this this weird box that like can communicate uh through games and i thought that was interesting so it made me think of that I think that'd be really cool. You'd have to establish maybe that there's a reason why it takes a little bit of time so that they can send one thing through, but they don't get the response right well, away. Well, and that was the... And then you could yeah. really play it up. Yeah. Yeah. You no, could and really... that was the, the, the computer. He would leave things, and sometimes he would have to leave it on screen for like uh, like a month. Not a month. It was like a week. Mm -hmm. But uh, then he would come back, like, and then overnight it was like, oh, I've got a response. And so it was Very interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think you could do that. I've always liked the idea of combining different playing groups, either whether they're in the same world or Dungeon Masters running the same kind of world um, or linking games together in some way. The other thing, going all the way back to the start of the show with factions, I've always had this fascination of I'm running a group and they have a faction heavy campaign world they're in. But the factions are ran by real friends of mine or dungeon masters I know. And and yeah. from a top-down view, not like the, the very specifics, but I'm like, hey, there's this adventure group that broke into your warehouse last night and you've just found out that um, one of your warehouses burned down. And let them say, okay, well, I'm going to send 
I'm going to start investigating. I'll have one of my, my people start to do it. And then that starts to feed into the story of what's going on by them kind of saying, what would you do as the leader of the Thieves Guild? What would you do? You're the leader of the the Adventures Guild. You're the leader of the Town Guard, and you're the leader of this. And just give them general stuff. And they're allowed to say, well, I send my minions off to do this thing and, and then let that affect the adventure in some way. I always thought that would be kind of fun. Um, no, for sure. Because, I, I mean, I think that's fun in general, but then my mind takes it to when you actually confront that crime boss, then you get your player, you're the person you've been in. talking to to bring him in, and it's just like, it was me the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, skinny Tony. Sure. I'm here for you. Like, yeah, because in their mind, everything's coming from the DM, right? Yeah. So they they kind of know that the they could break the third wall if they want to, but you're messing with them because they don't know what's behind the third wall at that point or the fourth mm-hmm. wall or whatever wall you want to call it. You know, they're like, oh, there was somebody else running this whole thing in the background. It's the other idea that I've all, I've often looked up AI dungeon masters because there are people working right now on making a program that could be a dungeon master for a group, almost like the, you know, talking to... The, the Amazon thing. You can run an adventure right now. I think it's a Pathfinder adventure, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Through Where you the, can run, and uh, it's Alexa, like Siri yeah. is, or Alexa is your dungeon master kind of thing. And there's other people that are taking a real serious crack at making a very sophisticated computer AI that could run a typical fantasy game. And I thought, wouldn't that be interesting that eventually we get to the point where we have an AI good enough that me and and Jordan don't have to go find a dungeon master anymore. We can just meet up on a Friday and turn the dungeon master AI on, and we can have a great adventure based on not having to find a dungeon master at all. Yeah, they could just run it, and I just think that's cool too. So, all these ideas and all these like time travel ideas or games that are connected or um, bringing in other people from the outside to influence the game in some way to help add more realism or depth to the game more surprises for your players these are all things that i think are really fun and cool to experiments as a dungeon master try them all Mm -hmm. even if one of them bombs or doesn't quite work it's still fun to try it out and see where it goes and see where it takes you um be some really interesting stuff out there but i think i like the idea of a uh device that's sending messages back and forth and use that as a plot yeah. Maybe not the main plot, but something that they no, can keep them wondering. Yeah, you know, I don't like, I don't want on? that to be the main plot, but like if you think yeah. about it, if if your world is bigger, i.e. like plane jumping or something like that, or even mm-hmm. time jumping, like what what if we're playing in the Forgotten Realms, but then the machine that they find is actually communicating with your Numenera game? And right. then you tie it back in that Numenera is a billion years in the future of the Forgotten yeah. Realms. Like, I just think that's so cool. But yeah, yeah. And um, Numenera would do that. <laughs> <laughs> Numenera would absolutely. Do yeah, that. it would. 100%. Billions of years that world has existed. Yeah, right it's now. so fun. Yeah, the ninth um, realm. So uh, I know you you didn't get to play a lot of games, but what did what did you do this week for game wise? Um. Well, we had talked, uh, and I thought one of the things that was really interesting because you said you got to play a lot of a lot of games here and there, watching you know watching the boy run around. Oh, and video games me, is what he means, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and for, but what I mean uh, oh, for me, it was this this whole month has been a lot of work 
and this is the chair I sit in when I work all day long and I just had this I need to be out of this chair at the end of the day of work normally I would just sit here and keep playing games um, so I did a lot more TV watching a lot more shows were coming on in this November area there's a whole bunch of things popping up and I got a racing wheel and a racing thing so I could play my racing games nice. um, and we missed out on last week's um, Dungeon of the Mad Mage because another player was out I was out so they decided not to run it. So we've kind of been spotty. And I think that happens right when you're getting near Thanksgiving or sometimes holidays, your games get a little spotty. Um, so you always have to have that fill in. But that's kind of what I've been racing around in Forza 5. I have been watching a lot of shows. And I'm telling you, if you haven't watched Arcane on Netflix, total D&D creative will get your really mind good, moving yeah. you're like i want to run a game in piltover the 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 rich and the poor the, this is the 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 dawn of hex tech and how magic gets combined with technology in the, in the world of league of legends it's like a total creative juices get flowing when you watch it and the animation is beautiful the characters are great the fight scenes are cool you're like i want to make a character that has big metal fists and just boxes and the way they make it look you're like this is super cool you know this yeah. is the coolest thing ever um but even with the marvel movies out and the other shows that are out there's just all these inspirations for running games and wanting to play the games and putting them in your dungeons and dragons games or whatever game you happen to be, be playing so that's kind of what i did i didn't know if you got too many games in for your week how was your week um, I got my DCC game in, which has been nice. a lot of fun. So yeah, they, they're really into this hot spring city. Um, and it's funny because I was very much expecting them to keep like exploring hexes, but hot spring city is kind of its own, it's a hex, but it has a lot of stuff going on in it hmm. and they haven't really found a reason to leave yet. So they're just kind we're of just exploring, hex. <laughs> but we're not hex crawling. We're hexing. We're literally <laughs> just exploring the heck out of this place. Uh, but yeah. they ran into some NPCs, which was fun. And um, I rolled randomly to see like what was going on in the town uh, or in the city. And mm -hmm. it said that in the evening, a boat appears and starts firing cannons on the, uh, on the city itself. Nice. But it doesn't really explain why. So I'm like, huh. Yeah. So I rolled a couple of other. Uh, I did this as prep because I decided I wanted to kind of prep it going forward mm -hmm. so that I'm not like trying to come up with everything on the fly. So I made an NPC and he's basically like a pirate. And it was him and his crew. And uh, there's a subplot going on with my players about these little spiders called astral spinners that can bamf to the ethereal plane and back. And they capture prey, take it to the ethereal plane where it's like essence is drained. And then these like random husks of human beings or animals or whatever just pop up because it's like, OK, oh, we're done wow. with the life force now. And so you'll yeah. find these like mummified remains. Uh, all of the spiders were at the beach looking out at this ship that was firing cannons and like not liking that their city was getting destroyed. But they were prevented by the water. It was just like a prevention I made. So the players swam out there to kind of see what was going on as they're like talking to the pirates and trying to be like, oh, you can't do this. And, you know, that's our home and stuff. They start noticing that spiders are all over the ship. And so they made a deal. But then uh, crew members were disappearing 
And so they're like, well, what's going on? And so then I had a couple players put it together. They're like, I think those spiders are doing something. And then all of a sudden the spiders were taking large chunks of the hull of the ship to the ethereal plane. So the whole ship fell down. There was a big fight with the, the pirates thought that they were the ones doing this to the ship and not the spiders or that they brought the spiders. So there was a big fight and an attack. Uh, and long story short, they got in a rowboat and went back to shore and the whole <laughs> ship sank. And now they're just like left with more questions than really they have answers because <laughs> they met somebody on the ship. The pirates had a lot of information and that boat could have potentially gotten them off the island. But yeah. uh, through their actions and through the spiders and stuff, the whole thing collapsed. So now they're just like, well, crap. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. Plan B. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. And I love it. I have one player who, uh, oh, you played with her, Katie. Remember Katie. we played OSR or OSC together. Mm -hmm. She's very like, putting together the meta narrative in her head. And so she's like asking questions to the rest of the players. Like, do you think that the spiders like rebuild the city at night? And I'm like writing down, they do now. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> like, this is really cool. So they're having a lot of fun. I'm having a lot of fun. Uh, we're taking a break this Sunday because Makes of uh, stuff, but I think they're all, in town and not doing much for Thanksgiving. So we were talking about having like a really long uh, Thanksgiving like play day, wow. which would be fun. Yeah. The so. amazing all day event. I don't know if it's going to be all day, but <laughs> it could be a lot of fun. Wow, those were so magical moments back in the day. I haven't done it in <laughs> so long. Everything's a three hour game these days. Yeah. Or if you're me, you like the good two and a half hour game yeah there there was a time where we would be at school friday afternoon everybody's excited we're saying who's whose house are we going to, to play for the weekend and we'd be like okay we're going to this person's house everybody get your bus or ride your bike over tell your parents get your sleeping bag get your snacks we show up friday night and we don't stop playing until Sunday. <laughs> it was just like, it was like a, a marathon of game playing. Oh, those were such good days. <laughs> such a fun time. Too funny. Well, you guys should tell us, did you ever get to play full, full yeah, length games? I never did. I was never, because uh, oh. I didn't RPG until I was in my 30s. So until I was 30. So yeah. Um, and by then I was teenager. old and I'm like, no, we're not yeah, playing for, for I'm tired. four hours. No, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, that's our show though. I think next week we'll be here. Um, even though it's the okay. week after Thanksgiving, um, per the title of the show, we are very thankful for you. Thank you guys for watching yes. and, and spreading the show. Uh, love it. It's super fun. Listen to us on podcast. Um, yep, we've got a podcast, which is this show. So don't don't <laughs> get super excited. It's exactly the same. Um, and then yeah, we also read the comments. Lucia especially takes time to go read all of your comments and stuff. So uh, you know, leave us some comments, say hi, all that other stuff. Anything else before we take off, sir? That is it. Have a wonderful holiday if yeah. you're in a place that has a holiday this coming up weekend yeah. or. Happy American Thanksgiving or happy <laughs> yeah. uh, end of November. We'll see yeah. you guys next week. Take care.